like why do people intentionally do this and now i understand you know a year in i'm like this is fun and he's learning and everything but i think people over glorify having a kid in the early like you might be i would tell my friends i'm like you you might be really fucking miserable for the first six to nine months like it's just the way that it is and then it gets fun but Welcome to Startup Dad, the podcast where we dive into the lives of dads who are also leaders in the world of startups and business. I'm your host, Adam Fishman, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Alex Cohen. Alex is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and the senior director of product at Carbon Health. Maybe most importantly, though, he is one of the most prolific shit posters on Twitter and now has started his own podcast with some other fellow shit posters called The Outsiders. Alex and I covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talk about how he got fired from Home Depot, marrying his high school sweetheart and prom date, being one of the youngest parents in his neighborhood, his wife's take on him as an internet celebrity, and how his shit posting has enabled her to choose to not work outside the home. We also talk about how parenting is really, really hard without a community, family, or a network of friends to commiserate with, and what it was like to bring home a newborn during the peak of the pandemic. My conversation with Alex was funny and heartwarming, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. My guest today on the program is a serial founder, angel investor, and is currently two things. One, the most incredibly prolific shit poster on Twitter and seems to be spilling into LinkedIn, and also the senior director of product at Carbon Health. Please welcome Alex Cohen to the show. Alex, it's good to have you on Startup Dad. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for that introduction. I'm sure I didn't do your whole background a ton of justice. So Tell me a little bit more about your background and how you got into doing what you're doing today, both being prolific on Twitter and also leading a big chunk of product at Carbon Health. Yeah, it's been an interesting, I guess, untraditional path to running a product team at a really large tech company and also Twitter. Like, I never thought that it would blow up. I actually had to change my profile pick. Uh, a couple of days ago, because I keep getting stopped in person and I'm like, ah, this is kind of weird. I'm not sure I want more people recognizing me in real life, but like literally once a week, I have someone come up and they go, hey, I follow you on Twitter. Or like I literally was at the park in the neighborhood here in Austin over the weekend. And it's just me and one other dad. And the guy looks at me and he's like, hey, you're the neighborhood Twitter guy. And I was like, what the fuck? Like how... <laughs> Like, how do people write? Anyway, so I changed my profile pic temporarily to see if that sort of tones down the in real life interactions. But yeah, I mean, in terms of the product stuff, just out of school, I was building a company kind of by accident. And um, instead of sunsetting it like most other college seniors do and moving on to the real life, I decided to keep building it with no salary out of school. And one thing turned to another, started learning about fundraising and meeting investors, and that went pretty unsuccessfully. But we eventually, four and a half years later, got acquired, and that was kind of my first venture into a, a larger company, and then worked for that fintech company for about a year before I burnt out due to how toxic they were. And, um, and then I started working on a second company again, like that one was actually by accident as well. I wanted to like bootstrap some SaaS tools and people got really excited about the first one that we started building and it became a real thing. We ended up raising money for that one. I moved out to 
San Francisco, like back from New York to SF. I had made like the Florida SF, New York journey, and then New York to SF where my new co-founder was. And then we had a co-founder falling out at the end of 2020, which is when one of our angel investors was leading product to Carbon Health and recruited me to join. And so I ended up joining as director of product initially on a certain team at Carbon, which has grown to be a much larger team because now I run all of our consumer product and, and our growth team. So been there for a year and a half and it is the furthest thing from a toxic company, which is great. And I'm still very much enjoying it like 19 months in or whatever it is. So that's kind of the path there. And then in terms of Twitter, it, it just was like a natural evolution of trolling people on the internet, I think. And it just happened that, yes, I sort of found a weird niche to lean into, which was satire, sarcasm. Because that's also my, I think, you know, from our time together, like that's basically me in real life as well. And so that's me on Twitter. And I think people enjoy the authenticity and it's just grown a lot over a couple of years. Yeah, that's how I actually first met you. Well, maybe you didn't meet me, but I discovered you on Twitter and then reached out to have dinner while we were at a conference together. And that was really fun. So I'm kind of glad that I did that because now here you are and we're talking yeah. about parenting at some point. And then when did you get into angel investing? I was looking back at your profile and you made a, quite a few investments. It looks like you and a partner kind of run that yeah. together. I, I had no idea how kind of involved you were in Check writing into companies, but it looks like quite a few investments you've made. Over 70 now. So it's been really active. So granted, it's not all my money. So I did not have a lot of money for a long time running the first company. And then after we got acquired, you know, I got a full salary and I got bonuses and all that stuff, which was great. And I had a pretty big network at that time of founders who I wish I could have invested in back when I was working on my own thing, although I didn't have any money, so there was nothing to invest. And I started doing a few small angel checks. So that was when I invested into like Italic, for example, and then into Sky Craig's company who was doing some some interesting first-time homebuyer stuff. And I knew that I wanted to do more like larger checks, higher velocity, but I still couldn't do it off my own personal savings account. And so always had the idea of doing an angel fund. And then that ended up materializing where we raised just shy of $3 million for the first fund. Bart was an angel investor in my last company and he had sold his company. So we had like pulled our funds together, raised from a bunch of other operators. And now we sort of have this pool of cash to go deploy at a lot higher velocity and also larger check sizes. And then that fund did 47 investments. And then we, our LPs were like, do you want more money? Like, this is great. And so we said, yes. Yeah. And that was December of this past year. So like December, January, so six months ago, we raised the second fund and like six and a half million dollars came in overnight. And, um, and we've made nice. 19 investments this year so far out of it. So, wow. Yeah. So it's been really active. Yeah. And we wrote larger checks into this fund. Like we had personal checks into the first fund. We have personal checks into this fund. So we've got a lot of skin in the game. And we just meet so many early stage, interesting founders that it's such an interesting product to sell to our LPs who don't have access to that same asset class at that level of risk. And so it's still not like I'm part-time. It's not a full-time venture thing. Sure. But, but I, I think if you look at the investments we've made, it's been pretty exciting to see what it's done as a part-time gig. Yeah. It's also probably a good learning opportunity for you too to like get closer to a bunch of different companies and see what they're like from the inside and get those like, you know, yeah. updates and things like that. So it gives you a lot and of exposure to interesting things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thanks uh, for telling me a bit about your professional background. 
Tell me a little bit about you personally. So it sounds like, if I recall, you grew up in Florida. Is that right? Yeah. What was life like growing up in Florida? You know, how have you felt about sort of Florida to New York to California to now Austin, like decision of to leave California? And where'd you meet your partner too? Yeah. I'm interested to yeah. hear about all that. We met in high school, actually. So we're high school sweethearts, went to prom together. We've been together now for like what? 11 or 12 years. I forget how many. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I grew wow. up in South Florida. There wasn't that much exciting going on, you know, kind of a standard, I don't know, regular place to grow up and live and ended up going to school at the University of Florida, dual degree in finance and information systems and just sort of like had always been tinkering with software since, I mean, since I can remember, like I was probably 10 years old, figuring out how to like dual boot Linux on a computer and run scripts to hack my neighbor's Wi-Fi passwords. Like that was basically my childhood and then a bunch of video games. And I mean, at one point I worked at Office Depot doing tech support. So like I was literally like, if you came into an Office Depot, I was the person who was like, yeah, we can like rip apart your computer and figure out what's going on, like why you're. <laughs> Like basically Geek Squad, but for Office Depot, which is a lot less exciting. And then you don't get the fancy cars to drive around to people's houses, right? No, we had, but that's actually why I got fired. So I got fired from Office <laughs> Depot because I would have all these old people come in who like didn't know how to do bait. They'd be like, can you set up my wireless printer? Like, this is like a 30 second thing. And Office Depot wanted 180 bucks to do it. And I was like, I can't rip off these old people. So I'd be like, here's my number. Give me a call. I'll go to your house and do it for like 30 bucks. And so I had this like very large revolving pool of old people who would give me a call and say, hey, can you come install and like mount my TV and hook up my Roku and like connect my wireless printer and speed up? And so I would get paid like, like actually like thousands of dollars as a teenager to go to these people's wow. houses all malware bytes and like speed up their computers and spend a couple hours there and then Maybe I you're up, using office depot as your like pipeline it's like yeah. siphoning off <laughs> siphoning <laughs> off people <laughs> you know which was which was explicitly against the terms of my employment contract okay. with that room. So, I'm certain. so here's how genius i am and why i got fired i made flyers <laughs> to give out and i printed them at office depot for free oh. using the office depot print center and one of the employees saw it and was like, what the fuck are you doing? And then I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Al Capone getting busted for tax evasion, right? That's what yeah. that is. It's like <laughs> you using you using the free printer for your side business, which involves stealing customers. Well, the funny office. thing is, is it wasn't a free printer. And so when they found out how much I printed, not only did they fire me, but they made me pay for all the printing that I had done, which was like $90 worth of printing. And I remember just like holding my head in shame being like, yeah, I kind of deserve this one. But also like you motherfuckers made me clean the bathroom, which was not in my job description. Like uh, you can't figure okay. that, you know, a professional cleaning service. And Anyway, so there, I, I had a lot of animosity towards that company, <laughs> but yeah, they were my like top of funnel lead gen for my own personal at home. I think I called it like iTech on demand or something. Anyway, oh, I yeah. got a whole bunch of startup ideas around in-house tech services, but then I worked for Apple for a bit doing like at home genius support while I was in college. And then Sarah, my wife and I went to the same university and then, yeah, then once I started that company senior year of school. We raised a little bit of money, moved to the barrier to try to raise more money. It was a very lonely, but like grueling part of my life. And then once we sold the company, we actually had a really big offer from Capital One. I'm out of my 
and an NDA with them. So like this was years ago, but Capital One made us an offer. It was like seven figures, all cash. We owned like 80% of the company and they rug pulled us at the last minute and they were like, decided to move different directions. Like after we had signed an LOI and then uh, kept working on and ended up getting acquired by Even Financial, which was the company that I moved to New York for. They were recently acquired by Money Lion, so now I have wonderful Money Lion stock. And then moved back to the Barrier and, and now to Austin. Just first time I think we've made a move that hasn't been a hundred percent work related, which has been really nice. Yeah. So tell me about your decision to leave California and move to Austin. You're not alone in that decision. We actually just had a set of friends who did the same thing, but I assume that it was like fairly motivated by, you know your young family and sort of your desire to have more space and just maybe not deal with California anymore. Yeah, it was a bunch of things. I mean, I think like we'd only moved back to the Bay Area because I was working close to my old co-founder and, you know, mid COVID there was like nothing going on. And so I was always like not really having a fun time out in the Bay Area, but also I was working so much. I was like, this is what I'm here for. Like I'm working and it doesn't matter, even though you're paying a shit ton of rent and everything's more expensive. After that co-founder breakup, we moved further south where my wife's work was. And like, we had also got pregnant and it was kind of just like, then at that point I'm working for Carbon and I'm not going into the office at all. She's commuting to school and we have a baby and our whole family is like 3,000 miles away in Florida. So it's hard for them to fly out and help. And I was just like, every day I'd wake up and be like, why are we spending the most expensive amount on rent each month to live in the most boring city in the country with no family support <laughs> and like, and paying crazy income tax? And I was like, this is just not where I want to live. And you can only do nature so much. Like you can only go hiking so much and be like, I love spending all this money to go hiking every weekend or... And, and I guess the other, the other big driver was like, we just didn't make any friends down there. Like no one was mm. in their late twenties with a baby. It's either like, basically if you are in your late twenties with a baby, it's like being on 16 and pregnant for the Bay area. And if you, <laughs> and, and because everyone really is like very close to their forties by the time they have a kid because work yeah. become priority for so long. And so we would like go try to meet other young parents and. I don't know. Ever, like, again, everyone would be like a generation older than me. And it just didn't feel like we'd be able to make any friends. Like my wife was going to the park every day. It was only nannies and she wanted to be a stay at home mom. And that's like a cardinal sin in the Bay Area as well. And so it was just yeah. um, all those things like were piling up and then our nanny quit. And we were like, OK, we just need to get the fuck out of here. And so that's yeah. what we did. So we found three guys to take over our apartment in Mountain View, they were like working on a web free project and turned it into a hacker house. And mm -hmm. then we just, we packed up the car, packed up the town home and put it in the garage and then just drove to Austin. In terms of deciding on Austin, we were in between three cities. So we, we ruled out anywhere that had a harsh winter, which like ruled out New York again and Hoboken, which I would have loved to go back to Hoboken, but we didn't, we wanted space and we didn't want winter. And that ruled out a bunch of places. I wanted a big enough tech community where I wouldn't feel isolated and like just trapped career wise. And then wanted to be somewhere like, you know, affordable ish. So we looked at Miami, 
Austin and LA, Orange County area was kind of like the fallback if neither of those worked. And visited Miami and we were just like, ah, it's just, we grew up here. It's really not for us. We don't want to move back. It's just South Florida. Like we just, I don't know. And even though that would have been the closest to family, which is nice, like would have been super helpful, uh, visited Austin and we were like, this actually feels like super homey after growing up in Florida. This has like a big enough city plus kind of the Florida S suburb feel that it's, it's good. And had all the bars, restaurants, coffee shops, music, like all the stuff that we liked minus professional sports. There's none of that here. You have to go to like Dallas or Houston, but it had, it had like almost everything we were looking for, although it's gotten way more expensive than, than it was three years ago. But anyway, so that's, that's how we even, we didn't even look at LA after that. We just said, let's go to Austin and best decision. I think we made in the last five years. (laughs) I would ask you how you deal with the heat in the summer, but you're from the South of Florida. So like, it's probably like yeah. no big deal, you know? I mean, it's hot. Like, so so here's what I would say is like the mornings are awesome. Like 7 a.m. to 11 or noon, you could be outside, you're sweating, but it's it's like anything below 95-ish is totally bearable to be outside. Noon to 7 is like fucking death. Like you don't want to be outside it's, unless you're in the shade. It's the surface of the sun. You're on the surface yeah, of the sun. literally. But but because it's dry, if you go in the pool or if you go in the shade, it's actually really manageable to be outside. And then at night, it's great too. Like you can go play tennis and stuff and it's just a dry 80 to 85 degree heat. And it's really like only this for two and a half months. It's like not that bad. And so you sort of adapt around it. The hardest thing probably is the dogs don't get a lot of exercise midday. You have to do mornings and evenings, but there's just so much to do. And like everyone's near a pool. So you just go swimming. And then the rest of the year is perfect. Like winter is great. Fall and spring are like magical. They're dry. 75 80 degrees like it really is the perfect temperature and everyone's just suffering together and you know you bond over trauma so (laughs) you've now sold me on austin i'm i'm buying a house there tomorrow actually doesn't sound like i could afford it anymore um so i wanted to ask you so is your wife able to then be a stay-at-home mom that's uh, that was one of the goals i imagine that's yeah very, very fortunate that she can do that yeah yeah, she loves hanging with the baby all day. She has friends who are stay-at-home moms. It's been great. I have tasked her with a new job, which is to find more brand sponsorships for my Twitter account. I told her, I was like, email all of your favorite brands and be like, like pitch, like give them the 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 rate card for my Twitter account and like, let's go turn nice. my Twitter account into some some side money. <laughs> nice. I hope I hope you pay a healthy commission on anyone that she lands yeah. for the for the Twitter accounts. So. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> That's right. Well, so that's actually an amazing segue to my next question which is what does your wife think about you being an internet sensation? How's that work in your relationship? Cle- clearly you've enrolled her in the process now, so yeah. yeah, she finds it really funny. I think, you know, her family now uses the word shit poster in sentences which is funny like I don't know, it's never really like like she's she's supportive of it it's funny because i don't tell a lot of people this but like i get paid by a couple brands to actually like create memes and tweets for them for their accounts and like it pays more than most average annual household incomes make just like literally spending a few hours a week crafting memes and stuff and so it's like and that's actually like part of it is like shit posting replaced her salary which is great. So it enabled her to, to go full-time at home. 
And she finds it funny. I think like we have a similar sense of humor. So I'm like, you should try to ship posts for me and yeah. I'm like take over the Twitter account. But but we'll see if that happens. She's going to become your ghostwriter. I'll see if I can tell which ones. It's like the people who are like, which is the tweet that I wrote and which one's the one that the robot wrote. This is going to be you yeah. and your, your wife. We'll have a, we'll have a bake off. Yeah. Pretty- she thinks it's funny. She hasn't been with me when I've gotten stopped in person yet. So that's okay. something that she yeah. hasn't seen. That's funny. That's interesting, too. I, I do like your new profile pic, by the way. I think that's the Dolly one. Yeah. With the sun. Yeah, it's, right. it's amazing. It's really nice. Quite the likeness is quite accurate. So I've got a pretty good lay of the land of you and, and your background and your wife. And I guess your wife would have to be very supportive of what you do because it otherwise would probably drive her crazy that you're like doom scrolling through Twitter all the time to like read your, your mention, <laughs> which is a big problem that I have. Not, not that I get any mentions, but you know, so tell me about what it was like deciding to start a family with your wife. Cause like you mentioned, you were quite a bit on the younger end of the spectrum when it comes to the Bay area. And I can relate. Yeah. Because our, we had our first kid when I was 29. My wife and I were maybe both 29, I think, or she had just turned 30. Mm-hmm. There aren't that many people here that are, like you mentioned, in their 20s having kids or starting families. So how did you approach that topic with your wife? How did that decision come around? Well, I guess sort of the first thing was like, it wasn't unplanned, but it wasn't planned. So it wasn't like we weren't trying, but we weren't not trying. So, <laughs> so we like, you know, removed all you know, all like all goalies and, mm-hmm. you know, took shots on goal and like it happened. But, it, you know, I think like my original plan was like, oh, you know, when I hit 30, like that's a good age because I'm out of my 20s and all that stuff. And it just happened a couple of years earlier. But we always knew we wanted a kid. It was still a bit of a like just a, I don't know, it didn't feel real even six months into having the kid still. Like it is, it does feel real now, but like it didn't, I didn't feel like a dad for, for the first like even during pregnancy and then first six months. And yeah, I mean, you know, it was just more like we always knew we wanted to, we wanted kids, plural, and it just happened a little earlier than we had expected. And like, that was fine. So cool. 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 And you have a son, right? Yeah. 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 What's your earliest memory? So your son's just turned one pretty recently. So all of your memories are pretty early, I would imagine. But what's like your earliest memory of becoming a, a dad? What's your earliest fatherhood memory? Oh, I was in the OR when they did the C-section. So like, I very vividly remember them handing me the baby and like, this is yours. And I was like, what is this thing? So I remember that for sure. After that, everything was kind of a blur until like, you know, we got home and it was just a lot of sleepless nights and screaming. I remember just like, he was kind of colicky. So we dealt with that for three and a half months, which is a very long time to hear a screaming baby Yeah, for eight hours a day. But like... Yeah, I remember all, like, we would just go on a ton of walks. And I remember, like, day three, I was like, it's time to start using the $900 stroller that we bought. And so, yeah, we, uh, we just started going on a bunch of walks. And I remember, like, I started to just, like, I was like, I want to, you know, be more active. And just, like, I need to get out of the house. This kid's screaming all day. And this was also part of the reason we were miserable in Mountain View. was, like, no family to just pop on by and support and sort of take, like, give you a breather. So... Sarah's mom came out for like a month and like that was great. But then you have someone living with you in a small town home for a month. So it was just, you know, it's just hard. Like I, I think that's, sorry, I know this is like a tangent from the initial question, but it's just, it's rough in this country where we like, you grow up somewhere and you have to move away for your career is kind of just like the default, 
the default thing. And it's hard because like you start a family, you just don't have a support network around you. And I think that's been one of the nice things about remote work is like it's given people that opportunity to move closer to families, get childcare. Like we don't even offer free childcare in the country. So like you need help. But yeah, anyway, so that was my earliest memories is like just all the screaming and and just I remember I remember being really, really miserable. And I've been like pretty open about this, but I was not happy. I was like very depressed for the first four months mm-hmm. after having a kid. My shit posting got really good during that time. It was like an outlet for me, but it was it was a dark time. That's really interesting because I think, you know, a lot of people don't talk about that stuff. Everything's always like Instagram ready photos. Look at the baby. Look at the baby. Like, look at how amazing our life is. We're so happy. Meanwhile, that's like five minutes of your day and the rest of the day is like dragging depressed it's hard like being a parent is hard kids are not easy they don't sleep they are colicky and it's like the norm that's not the exception to the rule like that's the norm and i think you made a really interesting point about not having family and then also being one of the youngest people there so you don't have anyone else to like commiserate with right and you kind of need that network of people to be like, yeah. hey, does having a baby suck? And you're like, yeah, having a baby sucks. And you're like, yay, we have, we're friends now. So you just don't have know. Anymore, you know? No, you don't. And I mean, there were definitely Instagram worthy photos that we took. And again, it's like a blip of your day. It's not like the rest of the day is just listening to screaming, being extremely tired. You know, it's it's. Man, I mean, I think people, I remember asking myself, like, what is the point of having a kid? Like, why do people intentionally do this? And now I understand, you know, a year in, I'm like, this is fun and he's learning and everything. But I think people over glorify having a kid in the early, like, you might be, I would tell my friends, I'm like, you might be really fucking miserable for the first six to nine months. Like, it's just the way that it is. And then it gets fun. But Yeah, I mean, and we didn't have like friends to commiserate with who also had kids because we didn't know anyone who was our age with kids. I had like one friend who had a baby a couple weeks before us. And when I would complain, I'd be like, how is it going with you? He's like, oh, she's an angel. She's sleeping. She's not crying. She blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, I like this is not a helpful conversation for me. (laughs) But he would listen. Like, he would let me vent and he'd be like, it'll get better, blah, blah, blah. But still, it's like, I didn't get to commiserate with anyone who was going through, you know, similar experience. Yeah. What are some of the most surprising things that you discovered as a new dad, like in the last year, aside from the fact that it's really friggin' hard, what are some like things where you had no idea this was going to happen? Well, I still don't really like interacting with other babies. Like I'm (laughs) cool with interacting with my own kid. I'm still like, yeah, I don't know what to say to your kid. Like, it's right. not my kid. Like, I don't, I don't you know, want to make faces at it and stuff. And so that's definitely interesting. Um, I didn't realize like how exciting it would be to watch a tiny human learn really, really basic skills. So now, again, if you say clap, he starts clapping. If you say put your hands up, he goes like this. And so it's like you start seeing them learn and progress and it becomes really exciting. Yeah. I mean, I also didn't realize how much shit babies have. Like when you travel, you have so much stuff you're bringing with you. It's like, un- like I just bought one carry-on suitcase and now we have like a check-in bag and a play pack and a fucking tent and and a stroller and i'm like none of this stuff is for me and you are 15 pounds like what are what is going on here that's definitely something and then i also like i think i was really lazy and unproductive before having a kid like i had so much free time and i just like slept in to like 11 every day and like i guess i don't really know what i did and all these hours that we spend helping the kid and working 
So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I've realized about being a parent is it makes you so precious about your time. Like every minute you're doing something valuable, right? So I have friends who are like, how come you don't like, you know, play more video games? And I'm like, well, I always feel like I should be doing something else when I'm doing that. So the world of product management is all about frameworks, right? Which is like, we got a framework for yeah. everything. Do you have any frameworks for parenting? You must have developed something over the last year of your kid's life. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have some like general principles that I abide by, which is like, I give zero fucks what anyone else thinks of my parenting. So like my wife will be out and like the baby will fall and then I'll be like, okay, so like let him fall and he'll get up. And then, you know, she'll be like, ah, but there's other parents around. Like, I'm like, who cares? Let them come say something. Like I'll argue that. <laughs> so, yeah. so definitely like, I, I think most people like after working with enough people, you generally realize that like most people don't know what they're doing or like you don't really care about their opinion. And so it's like, why do I like they're probably not that good at parenting? Why? Like, why would I care what they think anyway? And so anyway, so that's like one general principle. The other is, I don't know, I don't really structure my life around my life is not very structured, but like I just kind of like roll, like go with the flow in terms of what just everything with him. It's like, oh, if he wants to try this food, like he should try this food. Like, you know, if he's up at eight and he doesn't look tired, like he's staying up till night. It's just like there is like, I just don't have that, that like, I've never really been, I think most founders are like neurotic and chaos and it just, it translates into my personal life. And there's not a ton of never really had great routines and plans and all that. And so you just kind of like every day is a little bit different in, in that regard. Yeah, you sound like a much more relaxed parent than many that I've talked to who are like, oh my God, including myself. I'm like, oh my God, it's 8.01. The kids need to be in bed. What am I doing? I would say that I threw that out the window this summer because it just became impossible and the pandemic didn't help. Speaking of that, what was it like having a pandemic kid? Like your kid was born during like the peak of the pandemic, right? In 2021. So uh, yeah, July. I think we were a little bit sheltered from like, I think he's a little bit sheltered from the effects of the pandemic because during the first year, they don't really do much anyway. So it's like not that like we still took him everywhere. Like, I don't know, I guess I definitely have a much higher tolerance of risk and just general like I'm not neurotic and freak out over things. And so we took him everywhere. Like for the first year, there would be times where we would be like, I forget, like, like at a bar at like 10 p.m. and he'd be sleeping in the stroller and he'd be like, hmm, maybe this is too much. <laughs> but, um, nah. but like, so we took him everywhere. And, you know, I, I think now that we're in Texas, you know, it's very much a we're open type of state. Mm -hmm. Like, who cares about a pandemic? You know, it's sort of like life is normal here. And I don't think he's been that affected by it. I think the biggest thing was just like, for us, it limited the things that we could do during that initial time, like the gyms were still closed or there were mask mandates and like, you just, I don't know. It's just, I mean, that was California generally. It was, you know, very strict rules and it was more limiting to like what we could do to get out of the house and escape versus I think how it'll affect him. Yeah. I was going to say probably more challenging for you and your wife than for him. <laughs> you're like, I'm falling at the walls here. I need to get out. And he's like, well, I don't care. I'm a baby. I look like Winston Churchill, yeah. <laughs> like I'm a blob. So I asked you about how your wife thinks about you being an internet sensation. I want to know what you think your kid is going to do or say when he grows up and learns that his dad is a famous 
internet shit poster. So like, what do you think? <laughs> do you think he's going to be embarrassed? Do you think he's going to be proud? Like, are you going to not be able to go out in public because you get recognized and he'll be, you know, yeah. certainly about that? I mean, I, I guess as long as I don't cancel myself really drastically, like it only gets more, more intense from here. And so, you know, I assume I'll be at like a hundred K by the end of the year and a hundred K on Twitter is like 2 million on Instagram. Like I really think it's a lot harder to build an audience on Twitter than like yeah. an actual engaged audience than Instagram. But I don't know. I, I think it'll be like. It might be a little weird when he gets to the age and like his friends are on the internet and they're like, I follow your dad or like, mm -hmm. or the, the friend parents, like it's always been a little bit weird making friends when like they only know you from the internet. And right. so it's like, are they friends with me? Cause like, like I like people, I think like, it's kind of like never meeting your heroes. And I don't know. I mean, I guess people like look up to my Twitter persona, which again is me in real life. Like I don't really try to, I'm not like a fake person on Twitter, but it might make it a little bit awkward for like, you know, for, for like parent teacher conferences and things like that. But we'll see. I mean, I really don't know. I, maybe it's a different type of, you know, internet famous than like being a celebrity where you have paparazzi in your face and things like that. So it definitely is like, it's not like that. It's way chill where people are just like, Hey, Alex. And I'm like, Hey, I don't know who you are, but like, this is fun. So we'll see. I mean, hopefully he doesn't go full unhinged on, on the internet after I'm fully unhinged on the internet. <laughs> you're going to get that dad. If my friend's parents say that they can't come over because you're a weird internet guy, they saw something. You Maybe. Could, yeah. We'll see. Time will tell. Who knows if anyone even be on Twitter anymore by the time your kid's old enough I know. to know what it is, right? I'll just subtweet, I'll just subtweet like his friend's parents and be like, oh, <laughs> we'll get there in eight years when we, or whenever that is when we get yeah. there. I don't even know when kids get up on these days. So <laughs> that's a very personal decision. Let me tell you, we're getting there. We're getting close to it with my daughter who's almost 10. So, so I want to talk about a partnership with your wife. You know, it's super important, right, to agree on things with your mm -hmm. spouse, but also it's very hard. So yeah. I'd love to hear about two things. One, what's something that you and your wife are like super lockstep in agreement on? And then what's an area mm -hmm. where you're really at like at polar opposites of one another? Like what's something you don't agree on? I'll start with the one we don't agree on because I, I think I know that I have a good answer for that one. But so she has her master's in education. She is a teacher. She's she's a great teacher. And so she wants to do a lot more homeschooling than I want to do. And so she like wants to do the at home schooling, you know, maybe with friends and stuff. And I'm like, I don't love that. Then he's not going to get like social interactions and things like, so we're, we're trying to find the compromise of like, well, does he go to school? Does he do homeschooling for like four hours a day and then like just play sports and you know, okay. things like that. But school is a big defining part of my life. And so it's weird to think about just like not going to school and meeting friends and you know, yeah, you get bullied and stuff, but it's part of, I think, growing up. So that's probably one of the things that we'll have to figure out when the time comes when he's old enough to go to school. I think the thing that we're really in lockstep on is just like, we agree on most things parenting wise. So it's hard to say that like there's a specific, like minus the the schooling part at some point, which I think will be like an interesting compromise whenever we get there. It's like, we agree on most things regarding, we just need to do whatever we need to sometimes to get a break or like, you know, we just let him cry it out and he figured out how to sleep for 12 hours a night. So like, 
awesome. in the beginning, she was very anti him sleeping in his own room really early on. And I was like, no, like, I don't want to sleep next to him. It's like loud and I don't want to hear a sound <laughs> machine. And eventually we made it there where he was in his own room. He started sleeping throughout the night, all that stuff. And then, yeah, but I don't think there's like much parenting wise that we disagree on. So it's, it's, you know, we're like, she kind of though is like the boss, like the, you know, she's the head parent for sure and then i'm just kind of like hanging a little (laughs) so what she says goes i get it i get it yeah um cool aside from sleep what's something you had to give up as a father or something that you don't do nearly as much as you used to be able to do well i gave up my tesla that was sad i got a large ford expedition okay (laughs) but i mean the, the thing that i really miss and I actually made this comment the other night and we got into a little bit of an argument, like not an argument, but just like, you know, more of just, she didn't love the comment, but I was like, I kind of miss when we could just like fuck off and go anywhere without worrying about a baby at home. And like, mm-hmm. I do kind of miss that. Like, it's just, you know, we can't go to the gym together. We can't go play pickleball together. Like we need to find a babysitter or, you know, or we're like, if he goes to sleep at seven 30, it doesn't just mean that we can go out and do stuff. It means like we're at home figuring out what to do now. And like, I, I miss sort of the flexibility of just like being able to, to only think about ourselves and not be dependent on, on someone else's schedule. And like, you get used to it. She doesn't. And she's like, I don't miss that at all. Like I love taking care of it. And I'm like, that's great. I still sometimes miss just being able to do whatever we wanted to without worrying. And so that's probably the biggest thing that we've given up is just, I mean, everyone gives it up is like that flexibility to, to do whatever you want without like worrying about being responsible for a tiny human. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also something that you get more comfortable with over time and just like finding ways to work through that. My wife and I go out a lot more than we used to when our kids were younger because we're like yeah mm-hmm. babysitter you're a high school kid you're probably great with the kids let's do this well, that's know? how i am that's yeah. how i am right now <laughs> he's like no we need to like really know the person who's babysitting and stuff so we actually just hired a babysitter for the first time we had an amazing nanny in california like she was awesome education background from columbia like she literally did she cooked she cleaned she did our lot like she was awesome like and then yeah. she quit, which was really sad. She took a full-time job at Target. And now that we're here and my wife's a stay-at-home mom, we just had a babysitter for the first time ever. And it was one of our neighbors who we had hired to, to be a dog walker. We were like, she's really nice and reliable. Like, should we just ask her to hang out for a few hours after the baby goes to sleep? And that's one of those things where like, Sarah is still getting comfortable letting someone else be responsible for the baby. And I'm like, yeah, I think these people are trained and qualified. Like it'll yeah. be fine. And so definitely an area where we, uh, yeah. All right. Ready. Here we go. Okay. Rapid fire. Most indispensable parenting product you've ever purchased. We bought this 10 for like 150 bucks. It goes over a play pack. So when you're traveling, they get a pitch black sleep and it is the best $150 I've ever spent. Love that. I want that for myself. Most useless parenting product you've ever purchased. Try to pick just one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just one. We purchased like a, a ride along trike thing that he just hated sitting in. Like, honestly, like the dumbest shit is what kids play with. Like he'll play with a sock for hours, but he doesn't want to play with any of his toys. So sock. (laughs) I love it. It's so, it's so true, but that sock's probably amazing. What is the most frustrating thing that has ever happened to you as a dad? Most of the frustration is just like those first few months for me when he was just crying nonstop, you couldn't console him. And, and it was just like, 
Yeah, it's just one of those things where like everything's out of your control and you feel like everything's falling apart. Like that's definitely the most frustrating. I don't know if it's like one specific moment as much as it is just like that experience. Okay. What's your go-to dad wardrobe? Your dad core outfit? Um, I'm really big into like a pair of rainbow flip-flops, some gym shorts and a Target t-shirt. And like, that's literally my life right now. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Did you ever drop your kid as a baby? No, I you still have so. an opportunity uh, to. Don't worry. Well, now, now, I mean, now that he's like walking, he's definitely like fallen and he hit his head today. And but like, I don't think I ever, I never physically let go of him and like he okay. fell. So no trips, to wait for me. To, no trips to the ER yet, though. Not for that, but like for well, no, he's never been to the. He went to the ER once for like we thought he might have had COVID, but mm-hmm. he didn't. And then, mm-hmm. but nothing for like, no, no, no injuries. No okay, injuries. good. There's a long, yeah. long time. You got a long time for an <laughs> ER trip. So it, it's inevitable. Good insurance. So. Good, good, good. How many parenting books do you have in your house or in your storage unit? One, maybe, I think. Oh, total. Like, how, many, I just, how many parenting books have you read cover to cover? Half of one. <laughs> so, like, I, t- again, I just like don't, it's, Oh man, like I just don't believe in a lot of this like fucking advice from random strangers who pretend like they're like because then you meet them in real life, right? Like I've met all of these people in real life and I'm like, they're just not that impressive as they are when they spend years and years writing a book. And I'm like, this thing is just like they're the one book we have is just like what to do in an emergency like here, like here's the tree, like follow it, like follow mm-hmm. this decision making tree, depending on what your kid has i don't want to read a book and like you need to put them down at 8 p.m and like this at 8 30 i'm just like there's no prescriptive way to life and i just like can't read these books yeah i just i can't okay okay (laughs) what is the age that you are most looking forward to for your son i think like three to five when he starts playing sports and i can just like be the fucking crazy dad bring in all the you know like going all the sports events and getting really competitive and like i hope i hope that'll be me (laughs) follow up are you going to be the coach of one of his teams if it's tennis i can be if it's baseball like i'm a little rusty but we'll see it depends on the sport soccer like no way Definitely. You were definitely from Florida. You said tennis and baseball. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Screen time. Good, bad, and different. How do we feel about screen time? Like for the kid? I mean, open-ended. I I believe like, so he doesn't watch that. He won't sit in front of a TV for a long period of time. But like, if it gets me a half an hour reprieve, like, yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. Cool. (laughs) All right. And last one. What is your take on minivans? I mean, you've seen my Twitter. I spent thirty thousand or like twenty thousand dollars more on a Ford Expedition just to not drive a minivan. So I would say that that describes my stance on minivans. What about your wife? <laughs> what about your wife's take on minivans? She pro minivan? Oh, she's a big no. She's, she's a, a she's no. a big no. Okay. I've like joked about it her, and she looks at me. She's like, "Fuck no, we're never driving a minivan." I was like, "Thank you. This is why I married you." <laughs> oh, she loves she loves your internet posts. And she's a no on minivans. You really did marry your soulmate there. That was a great conversation with Alex Cohen. You can find him on Twitter at another Cohen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show today, please subscribe, share, and leave me a review. It'll help other people find this podcast. Startup Dad is a Fishman AF production. I'm Adam Fishman. I have editing support from the great Tommy Heron. You can stay up to date on all my thoughts on growth, product, and parenting 
by subscribing to the Fishman AF newsletter at www.fishmanafnewsletter.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.